breached the Black Helpline. The revolution will not be televised. <laughs> Quit the band. Well, he just disappeared. <laughs> Oh, oh, he really? just disappeared. Yeah. Are we on? We're on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, he, we're going. Yeah, no, he just wait. Have some water. So y'all, so so let's talk about. So who are you doing this music with, man? I make a band called Astro Black. It used to be called Zulu Zulu. Astro Black. I think I heard of Astro Black. I've heard of Astro Black. Yeah. <clears throat> they used oh. to be called Zulu Zulu and. Was that a uh, little too Afrocentric? Yeah, that was a little too. You know what? We feel like that's phony. Let's feel like that's like. We're black Americans, so let's like represent us who we are. And I thought it was interesting because when I was in South Africa, I asked people about the issue. I asked artists I met, and they were like, yo, man, as long as you're doing something in a positive vein. And it reminded me of my father telling Muja one time, you can't rap about Islam. How are you going to rap about Islam, son? That's, a, that's, a, that's halal. You cannot do that. Well, you actually can. Your, your minister's minister said that as long as it's positive, Dad, you can actually... Singing rapidly, rap, about, rap, rap about whatever you want. Um, I'd like to hear that actually. Yeah, you know, rapping about Islam. Oh yeah, oh yeah, rapidly rap. Welcome back to the Black Helpline Part Two. We've got John Scott here. John. Black John, John Scott. Helpline Minneapolis. You guys don't know who you're dealing with. <laughs> Not yet. You got Black Malcolm. You got <laughs> Tricky Mickey, and you got Jamar. Oh, big germ it is. <laughs> big germ. Excuse me. <laughs> Go back to the AKA Big Germ in the building. My first roommate in Minneapolis was oh Big Germ. This oh, guy. let's talk about that. Oh, oh I thought it was, I want I thought it was Cam and Kathy. Oh, well, well, Cam and Kathy. We moved here together. Okay. Yeah. So this is the ex outside that. Yeah. That was my family I moved here with. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got that uh, those row apartments over on Cedar. Yeah, behind the Nomad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really friends oh. with a couple that uh, that lived downstairs. Okay. Yeah, stayed yeah, friends then, with them for a long time. Yeah, and then they we could only stay there for like a month or something like that because they're something weird remodeling. Yeah, something because the price is going up. <laughs> <laughs> the rent yeah. too rent's damn too high. high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then some, we ended up. Uh, Loring Park over on, like, Spruce. Oh, yeah. Spruce. Yeah. Oh, and back then I didn't know about, like, the park as a pickup spot. Oh. So oh, I'm like, hey, why are, why are these guys going in circles all the time? I was like, oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, why are the police outside, like, all the time? <laughs> this is, like, a quiet area. Yeah. Like, why are these guys in the car? <laughs> they had to walk, walk home. Walk home, they thought you were one of them. Yeah, it's like, like, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. <laughs> You know, do what you got to do. I'm just going home. Yeah, I'm just going home. You going home. To my to my roommate. <laughs> to my partner. <laughs> yes. God. As they call yeah, it now. I've had a partner for twenty five years and it's worked out <laughs> just go. wonderful. Amazing. Yeah, we Amazing have the uh, apartment divided by like your sheet. Was that or my shoe, was it? it is, or something. And you had the, the front living room. I had the hallway bedroom. You know, it, it worked out for a while. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. So she had those parties. When young those people parties can live there, between those? sheets. I couldn't imagine living in that kind of... No. I don't, I don't remember the sheet, but I remember <laughs> with Jamar done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was every, you know, because I'd come back from the club, from working the club all the time, and he... You know, he was chilling from working at the record stores, and you know he had company. I was loud. 
Um, Without company? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I had company sometimes, okay. but I was loud, you know, uh-huh. after uh-huh. hours. So it, it was, we were it all was, it was, young. It was an odd couple thing. It was an odd couple thing. We were all young. Look, that's funny as hell. <laughs> All you the know combinations what? of people <laughs> and living only together. Imagine. Since then, I realized never live with a person who's not a marijuana <laughs> enthusiast. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it I just thought, like, who wouldn't like that? I thought everyone would like that. It's like, whoa. I will like but to it, smell but that shit, yeah. man. <laughs> I'll be offering Big Jerm, but he don't, you know, he don't, he don't take me up on it, you know. Hey, one day, one day, one, one day. day. Hey, you know, so one let's day, talk about free. some of your success stories, John. <laughs> I want to hear some success stories. Success stories. With people you've been working with, kids, kids that have turned around, those kinds of success stories. I don't know how much you turned around, but uh, I moved to uh, Toronto for a while in around 2001 or so. Actually, uh, me, and Chris, Sa- Malik, me, and Syed, Chris. me and Syed had just moved to New York, right, the week of the World Trade Center fell down. Mm-hmm. We moved that week, and Muja was supposed to come meet me that day. Um... I got a call from Minneapolis telling us that a plane had hit a building. Me and Syed go up to our roof. All the international kids are on the roof speaking a million languages. I remember looking at Syed when the second plane hit, and Syed is from Pakistan, and I said, your life will never be the same. Um, No doubt. Several days, uh, then we went to try to see Matt. He was living in Lower East Side, and we couldn't reach him until three or four days later. Syed thought that was part of a broader racist conspiracy. Oh, why aren't they talking to me now? Now, well, because no one has a connection on their phone <laughs> because <laughs> everything's falling apart. <laughs> yeah, and then we experienced a lot of racism from the Spanish community and from other communities because uh, people was like, yo, you Pakistani motherfuckers, blah, 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 blah. You know, and then they were burning down like Atlantic Avenue and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that wasn't really a success story. But um, <laughs> New York, Toronto, it's been about eight years in Toronto and came back to Minneapolis. I came back to Minneapolis. And changing in my record label from Black Corners record to Sound Birthday record, which was the name of my blog. And then I started working with Greg Grease. Greg Grease is uh, sort of the emphasis around uh, Zulu Zulu and Astro Black. And a lot of music-related projects and a lot of art-related projects. Because every time we did uh first handful of projects, we tried to involve art as much as possible. And for them, that way was simply including all their friends. And their friends who were a part of this burgeoning art community I'm talking about... These were like the young creatives, and they were all friends with each other. And so everybody that needed help, they had a way of exchanging favors with everybody. Someone borrowed a studio, someone sewed something. Someone built something, someone needed something. And I never saw this happening. It reminded me of sort of being in a nation of Islam in a different way. Just so all these people are working together to do one thing. And kind of Mormonish or whatever. But in, in this way, all these people are working in, in a way to achieve one thing. And it's like you're seeing all this talent emerge from all of these people, and then you start seeing the wings from the talent emerge in all these people. And so that's what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking of the success. I'm thinking about watching them start, and then later there's three or four records. Uh, Greg Reese has, for example, as himself. Then he also has several records as Zulu Zulu and Astro Black, and also nurturing other people, and also taking on a broader role in the community um, and realizing, you know, you need to do more, you need to speak out more, you need to organize more. And um, now he's sitting on the board of the Cedar um, Organizing Committee for something, him and several other brown people. And so he has a first event coming up next week. And he has a bill together with Lioness and Kamala Love and a bunch of people that he's put a lot of energy into to show like this diverse group of brown people. 
Um, Good for you. And I think uh, earlier this year we did um, a big success for us, for the group was, well, playing Afropunk was a big success. We did that two years ago. And that success. Which one? Af- Afropunk in Atlanta. Okay. That <laughs> success was so great that once we got to Atlanta, we got to the Afropunk grounds. 50, 75 people in Minneapolis were all there. That's, That's the beauty That's that I'm thinking about. When I saw that, all of our hearts were broken. It was like all of your crew, you told them you're playing. They're like, we'll be there. We will really be there. And I was like, wow, these are young, really young kids. Like, holy, you know, somebody like me, I'm 53 years old. I shouldn't even know these kids, right? It's like, when you're watching them and you're like, wow, how do they get inspired to do this? How do they do that? And taking them there and then watching them learn from the experience of being outside of Minneapolis, being in an actual black city like Atlanta, seeing brown people, seeing people who are gay, seeing people who are transgender, seeing people who are different elements of things going, wow, anybody could do anything. You don't have to just live yourself with your tags or your box or whatever. Live life and apply all the things you need to do in whatever way fits best for you. Um, yeah, so for, for me, the winning is to watch a group like these guys and to watch all of them sprout off into different categories and to watch them do different things and watch them pay back their community. That's amazing. That's amazing. That nice. those kids went down there because that's what kids are doing. And, and for them, it's like Afropunk is 20 years old. I've been following them since they very first started, and I went to New York to meet, to meet the brother who shot the film, Afropunk, James Spooner. I took Gail Smaller from here. We went and interviewed him in his apartment in Brooklyn. At that point, Gail had never been to Brooklyn before. He lived in Minneapolis for 30, 40 years. It's like, John, let's go to Brooklyn, fam. How do we do that? <laughs> Find a purpose. <laughs> let's do something. And he ran a magazine at the time called Liberator, and I was a music editor for him for a while. So I was like, yo, let's go interview dude and put him on the cover. And we went and interviewed him. He's not associated with him anymore. But to watch that whole scene blow up and then watch the people from Minneapolis get looks in them and watch them grow up <coughs> within that, you know, um, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, Man, I could think of a million wins, but, but one of them is uh, earlier this year, we had a big grant project through the Walker, through the Medimo grant, where we work with some sisters from Toronto who are from Somalia called Pharaoh. And Asher Black and Pharaoh worked together, and we worked as their band. They came to Minneapolis, and we went to four cities together through the Cedars guidance. And we went up to like St. Cloud and somewhere and over there. And each place they did a performance, and the band backed up the girls. They also did seminars and workshops with all females or female-related items, and he talked about things like um, being, a ref- being from refugee camps, being refugees. They talked about being Somali. They talked about being women. And he talked about being in music. And it was so, it was so refreshing. When they played Minneapolis, for me to go to two or three places I'd never been to, to know that, yo, right here on Lake Street up here, next to Wendy's, but upstairs in the back hall is a place with 300 Somalis are having this joyous occasion. You didn't even know that there was a hall there. Or there's a place right over here and everybody's gonna meet over here and have dinner. And you're like, yo, I didn't know they did this over here. And it's like, yo, well, you gotta make friends to know. I used to Uh often think that, yo, I live in Minneapolis and we have the largest Somalis in Ethiopian populations and I don't have any Somali Ethiopian friends. I was like, oh, nigga, you need to go get a few. You know, if you don't have any, how can you not? You know, my girl's father would say, that's strange. I know a million Ethiopians in Somalis. People have to communicate and do a better job, and all of us have to do a little better job. We can't just criticize the next person, but you have to reach out and reach back. Well, yeah, you got to talk to your neighbor because you don't know who people are. You got to understand where people are from. Well, we got a lot of dividers out there, though. We got a whole lot of dividers. Yeah, well, do we focus on on the dividers, or we we focus on the people who are... um, 
who are taking opposite approach. Yeah. This is in my moment. We, we kick them out of office. This is in my moment to be, John, John, try to be positive. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't be yourself. No, be no, positive. Just, have, <laughs> no. Just, have, just have the Somalis <laughs> were completely vilified two weeks ago today, you know, by that, that orange monster. Right. Know? Yeah. And it's things like that that make it hard for a lot of, I think a lot of the, the Somalians that I know, uh, not particularly Ethiopians, but Somalians um, in our city have been targeted for a long time for various reasons, you know, but the most, the most negative is just existing. Yeah. You know, and I, for black people, African-Americans to even vilify them even more makes us look even even worse, yeah. you, know, you know, by not I've knowing them. From Somalis and Ethiopians is over the past five or six years, I've seen bl- Somalis and Ethiopians at Astro Black and Zulu Zulu shows mm-hmm. and at Lady Midnight shows. And I thought, wow. And we actually have conversations about it when we're back at the studio. And did you notice there's some African brothers, there's some African sisters here. Whoa, they was dressed in her job and it was in their regular joint. He was like, yo, you didn't know if you would be offending somebody if, you know, if somebody smoked weed or somebody. No, you know what? Immigration and the way communities work is after you're there, you start fitting into whatever environment you're in the best way you can. All right, there's going to be hard knocks. Of course. Of course. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine how much, how difficult it could be for somebody who's coming from a refugee camp situation or even a third world country and then living in like a, a place like Minneapolis. It's like Disney yeah. World. But I think, um, I think the possibilities, I mean, like look at Ilhan Omar where she is now and where she was 10 years ago. She could have been in a camp somewhere 10 years ago and somewhere like Minneapolis, you know. Yeah gives a little love or support to somebody like that. So, I mean, I, I guess I'm just like, you can't get it if you're not trying to get it. Oh, that's the truth. Yeah, you got to get up. I say on the radio all the time, you got to get up, get out, and get something. What is your radio show? Sound Birthday Radio on KFAI, Tuesday mornings, 4 to 6 a.m., but streaming 24 hours a day. Holla. Thank you. <laughs> Sound Birthday Record, we're playing the diaspora of black music every week, the finest in jazz, soul, reggae, Brazilian, African, hip-hop, local, all in a nutshell that every week you're going to hear John Coltrane and Gangstar and whoever back-to-back like it should be. You know, I was in Paris and just being in cafes, it was like it was um, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, The Roots, was regular pop radio. As it should be. It's like you're in a cafe. They didn't play this because you're there. It's already just playing. It's already it's just, just playing. What's happening? Yeah. You're like, wow. So you think of all these things of like how you thought somebody was until you get there. And kid was in the fetus last week, and I said something. I told him, asked him if he watches German hip hop show. He was like, Germany got hip hop. Yeah. I said, dude, <laughs> the world has hip hop. The world's hip-hop, got hip hop. Hip hop is a genre of music. Anyone could do it, and it's everywhere. He was like, for real. I said, he was like, Germany, man. I thought all they had was that uh, Adolf Hitler dude. I said, that's true. They used to have that Adolf Hitler dude. But now you might look at Frankfurt or something that might look like it's New York to you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really, really encourage people to travel. If, I know that's a privileged kind of thing to do. It's the way I saw it was this extra privilege. Like, wow, why am I here doing nothing but just hanging out? What a privileged yeah. opportunity you can if you can just go somewhere. But, you know. The world becomes very small once you actually once start you getting start out there. Yeah, you start you start to see a lot of a lot of yourself that you don't see in the mirror of your own of your own surroundings too. Well, especially when you travel alone, when you travel solo and you're solely reliant upon yourself, you don't know the language, you don't know That's anybody. Heavy. That's, That's what some I did shit. for twenty years going to yeah. Europe. I'm, I'll be there in a couple of days again. You know, I, I heard I heard some um, some Russian hip hop the other day. 
my friend of mine turned me on to some Russian, and it, and it was actually fire. I mean, I don't it speak or sense. understand Russian, but it was fire. It makes sense. This, this is a music that's been pop music for 30 years. Yeah. So it's like 20 of those years, and it's moving faster and faster and faster and faster. So like Little X or whatever came out last week, people hear that in China or or Russia, like they hear it everywhere else in the world. It's like it's pop is disposable music, and it's like if it, you know, rise to the top or do whatever. Yeah, no, hip-hop is, hip-hop is huge everywhere. No, it's it's global. I mean, it's different genres. It's different. I mean, the Portuguese have their own their own like you know sort of hip hop, and it's good. And you're right about the cafes and and the bars um, in Europe. You know, in in Portugal, you go into bars, you'll hear that same type of thing going on. They're just throwing out it felt, what's it out felt there. Felt nostalgic, and they play yeah. '90s stuff too. Yeah, that's they what play felt a so lot nostalgic. of '90s yeah. stuff. You know, and for and for my old ass, I'm like my you know unless I unless I get unless I get the the hookup. I'm gonna still be listening to older stuff, you know, because right. a lot of the the stuff that's out there right now Sucks. is reminiscent <laughs> of the older stuff, you know. I can't listen, but I'm a little biased because I, you know, I was a punk rocker, so what, you know. But hip hop, jazz, beats are all over the world, you know, everywhere no you doubt. go, you know, South South, South America, yeah. worldwide, you're worldwide, you know. Worldwide, we feed. Uh, we're featuring a station out of UK called Worldwide FM. It's Giles Peterson station, and it's sort of like a co-op of stations with uh, with like 200 DJs and so a DJ could be in Russia or be in Brazil or be in a different place and they're still recording for Worldwide FM. No and you see a lot of that especially with all the streaming services right now and all the ways you can just push stuff out into the into the stratosphere it's 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 on fire and I, I look forward to hearing a lot of it that's why I say it I listen to things like you know I listen to streaming stations I get a lot of that stuff like Anderson Pack one of my one of my favorites but I wouldn't have known that brother existed unless I, you know, started listening to this, to these things that I usually, I normally don't go to that are from other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Well, you, you know? know, growing up, we had maximum rock and roll. We had oh, yeah. a couple of other things, but there was publications we had to actually go out to buy right. and then read and then mm-hmm. find it and then purchase it. Yep. It was an actual ritual. It wasn't like we could just turn some shit on and go, oh, this is cool. This sucks. This is whatever. No. I want to hear yeah. that. You had it's, to be in you, front of your radio that yep. day. That day with the tape player and the record <laughs> the button. The tape player. That's yeah. for rock and roll. Saturday. Wait a minute. Did, wait, did they have cars when this was happening? Barely. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yep. Barely. Well, none of us had a damn car. Well, I tell you, <laughs> this is true. I'm strictly German hip hop for the last six months. Yeah. Beastbutton. Yeah. You like it? So did you've you been, say Beastbutton? Beastbutton, yeah. uh, Frankfurt. Yeah. Berlin. I think that's where Johnny my Fly. friend went to school. I mean, uh, army. Cam was in army. Oh, well, well, I was I was in Frankfurt outside of Hannah. Yeah. button's fun. No, dude. So, so John, um, about this. Um, so with with the with the people that are in that are coming into this, you know, especially in our local stuff, you know, with with all the, the young black kids coming up. Do you see a mixture of kids? Is is it a whole mixture like everywhere, or does that tend to kind of be a secular thing? No, it seems like the young kids. It's like, it's it's. It seems to be in their second nature, everything is mixed with what they're doing. Everybody's friend is a different color. Everybody's something is a different gender. And it just seems to be regular. Before, I used to thought that I have to put in work to go, yo, we need to make sure we have a girl on the pill. I don't want to go see three bands full of guys. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see two rappers, whatever. I, for me, I need to see something that I'm going to be interested in. So I think about the next person. Are they going to be bored by seeing three people that are just alike or two things just alike? So... We always make a conscious decision to make sure there's all, it's always in our head. 
And it, it, I always did that before. And now the other guys do it. They're like, hey, John, you know, we shot. I'm like, really? No kidding. What do you think I've done all, with all these other shows you've done? Mm-hmm. Why do you think so-and-so is on the bill? Because it couldn't just be boys. It couldn't just be men or whatever. It needed to be both. So I think the conversations change. And, you know, guys who go out with girls, um, sometimes their girls are smart and teach them. And then you find them, you're in a studio teaching other guys how to talk, talking about their male ego, talking about their chauvinism, talking about how they use words um, or not use words, particularly like in, in, uh, in language and he, she culture and pronoun, noun, pronoun culture. And it's interesting because it's like you're seeing them educate themselves in real time when the events are changing steadily in real time. And they're like, they have conversations with other people, and then they come back and they share their conversation. Then you watch the young group, and you're like, wow, this is great. So you see the receptiveness in the I younger see, people. I see the receptiveness, and they think it's shallow not to. They may have their problems, you know, with white culture specifically, but not with white people. Right. Right. Their thing is with the broader thing. I got to Brooklyn. We were opening for, Greg Grease is opening for a Marijuana Deaf Squad, and we were in Brooklyn, and... Um, we're in Williamsburg, a couple blocks away from where I used to live, where, where my friend Ann, Ann lives, and we were staying with her, but we're a few blocks away from there, and all this is like uber hipster community. And we're there, and right before Greg goes on, 30, 40 white kids show up. And I was like, wow, who are those kids? I'm glad they're here, because, you know, it was, first it was quiet, and these kids show up, and Greg gets, oh, those are kids I went to school with. They're from, three or four of these kids are from Minneapolis. They moved to New York when they got out of high school. Mm-hmm. And they stay over in Brooklyn. And sometimes we crash at the crib when we come to town. I was like, wow, those, I'm thinking, like when I met Dead Prez, that all of your friends are going to be, you know, about the revolution. <laughs> and they were. But they were also about the party. And they were also about the drugs. And they were also about the money. And they were also about, about the community. So I was like, wow. So I was all under pressure, like, wow, we're meeting these guys. We, you know, Mucha was like, nigga, they niggas, nigga, they niggas just like us, nigga, they niggas like you, nigga, come on, you know? And I remember uh, it, was a, it was a female artist that we work with. She was they, with us. They read. And me and Mucha and her were together, and we were at this party. Uh, it was in, uh, what do you call it, like uh, the, the Brownstones. And you go into the party, and you pay to go in, and it's like the stripper poles and everything was popping off. The party was popping off. I was like, wow, Dead Prez brought us to this. It's off the hook. Homegirl got sick and threw up. Mucha was like, Clean your ass up and go back in there. Clean your shit up. She's like, oh, no, no. He's like, no, go be. You ain't nothing wrong with you. Niggas get sick all the time. Man, man. Wow. And she like dusted the shit back off. Went back up in the party, and then she was back on and popping. And I was like, wow. Look at him. Tell the little homegirl, stand up for yourself. You got a little sick. That's okay. Clean up. We all get sick. Clean up. That's great because you got to get up. You got to bounce back. You got to get up. You got to get that snap back. Yeah. Get up, get out, get something. Get get out and get something. Um, Something you talked about, what's a major win? Um, About six years ago or so, I met my birth mother for the first time, and I never knew of her existence. Where's she from, by the way? She's from Philadelphia. Okay. But my family beyond that is from a place called Socotra Islands about 90 miles off the east coast of Ethiopia in the Indian Ocean. Uh, it's sort of claimed by Yemen. But um, I met her, and she also happened to be in the Nation of Islam. And at this point, that was uh, when I went to visit, we got into this major big argument. Because I'm like, yo, 
I'm not down with that. If you're down with Islam, you should be down with Islam. And it's like, well, well, it took me a long time to realize people have to live their lives the way that they see fit. And how dare you tell somebody else how they should actually live their life. But I was just trying to nudge, like, yo, you know. But then when she told me, you know, I've been with them for 15 years, for 20 years, and I ran these schools, I ran these daycare centers, I ran these clinics, I ran these food shelters, and it's like, wow, wow. And she grew up totally separate from my father. They had nothing to do with each other. One lived in one part of Philadelphia and another. And they didn't know each other at all, my father who, uh, who adopted me. And um, my great-grand, my grandfather played with John Coltrane. <laughs> I'm a super John Coltrane fan. So she told me that, I'm like, holy smokes. She wrote several books. Since I've met her, she released three or four books. And uh, one has a painting, uh, Minneapolis artist did a, a cover photo a cover painting for one of her books. But um, that's a huge win. Do you want yeah, to tell us yeah, her name? Yeah. That's a huge. Her name's Aileen Carson Muhammad. And she now lives in North Carolina. And she's a teacher, uh, professor at a university. But um, that was a huge win. I also have a huge family in Chicago. And both of the families have a similar component of. In Chicago, I have two brothers and four sisters. In North Carolina, I have two brothers and four sisters. Wow. That's a lot of people. <laughs> so I'm like on a lot of levels. That's regular. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can analyze something all day. That's regular. They got regular problems. That's regular. <laughs> oh, that's dope, That's man. like, whoa, super dope. But yeah, that's super cool. I, I met her. Uh, she came to Minneapolis to visit. And that's where I learned to appreciate something like the Walker. Because when I got down to North Carolina, there wasn't anything remotely close to the arts community that we have here. Mm-hmm. The things you went to that was the artist thing was like something in a library or something. And it was like, wow, everything was like strip mall related in Durham, Charlotte, um, Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. MSNBC is not on the air there, for example, period. Um, <laughs> no and, shit. And uh, all the time. Wow. Yeah, she came here to visit. She came here a couple of times. Uh, I went there to visit a couple of times. Um, and, and our first trip together, um, we went back to Philadelphia and... We met in Philadelphia, and then we went to New York, and we went to several museums in New York. And we're at a museum in Harlem, and Brothers Outside, Salonera, Nation of Islam, propaganda, gear, literature, everything. Mm-hmm. Her and her brother know each other. They simply start talking, and they talked about somebody who buried, and she was like, I was at the burial. He was like, that was my brother I buried. And it was like all emotional. And these, these great places in New York, these museums, she hadn't been in these places before. So it was like, you know, that was a nice thing to do to run up to the Whitney or run over here or go there. It was at one place that had an exhibit called Blues. It was a big jazz exhibit, and Douglas Ewart from here was in the exhibit. So that was like super, super cool. Did you take her to all these places? Yeah. That she had, just, she had never known about? That's pretty sweet. That she had never been to, yeah. She That's had, really I, sweet. I left her in Midtown in New York, and she's like, I went out to kick it. She was like, you were gone until the morning. I didn't know what was wrong with you. I was like, that's <laughs> called I didn't get to the bar until 4. It took me a minute to get there. I had to meet my friend and go hang out for a minute, go kick around, go hang around, turn around and go back. She's like, where are you going? She's like, I was so worried. I heard so much traffic outside. They said traffic. someone had died. Just all kind of madness was going on. <laughs> And she took, removed herself it. from the madness that was going on in Philadelphia. And part of her madness was her ex-husband, who's also Nation Islam, a hierarchy in Nation Islam, had threatened her life and told her he would hang her by a tree before he'd ever let her leave her. And, um, and in the course of that, she had to escape several times. And through those journeys of escapes, she ended up in North Carolina. 
and then brought her kids and the rest of her family to North Carolina to settle. And it was like, whoa, Philadelphia is popping. Yeah, Philadelphia yeah. is like Chicago. Yeah. The block is no, it, it's just like wow. Chicago, actually. Yeah. You know, and if you, if, yeah, that's 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 terrible. She had to go there, but it's a blessing that you got to. You you reunited with her, especially taking the museums. I envy that because my mother died too young for me to get around to that, you know. But that oh, was man. nice though, man. Yeah, it's, for you. that's awesome. And it explains a lot. She sounds like a wise woman, so it explains a lot about yourself, you know. I mean, I know your your family, your immediate family, has a lot to do with that. But the you know the cold train thing, you know, that must have been like a wow moment, the you know. Cold train thing, and and I have a great aunt. Um who's in the Whitney Museum, the Smithsonian Whitney Museum, mm-hmm. a thing called the New, the New Negro, 1925. It's her and a group of sisters there, and they're at a football game at, Hart, at the, the Howard Players. The Howard Players are a performance team at Howard University. And uh, I didn't have a good shot at the image, but she's a writer and a poet and a dancer, and can't really see her. But the one in the far left is my god, my grandmother. Well, since you said she was a teacher, your your mom. Yes, my mom's uh, teacher. You said you're a teacher as well. The far left, you said. I would say. Yeah. Far right, the dark picture. Yep. On the far right, I'm sorry. Far right. Well, yeah, because you know, the apple don't fall Malika, far from the tree. Right. went to the there Smithsonian, and that that picture was at the Smithsonian. Stop it, really? Yeah. No shit. Which one is it? Screen. <laughs> you have to pull the screensaver. Pull the apps over. Yeah, there you go. No, that's pretty amazing, actually. Um, it's truly amazing. Excellent. We're checking out a photo yeah. of his of his mom. Um, Are you great, aunt? Uh, it's my mom's. Oh, dope. That that is very. That's from that's 1925. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. And she comes from her family came from a place called Socotra Islands. That's off the east coast of Ethiopia. Lovely. Yeah. So when you when you um, when you when you think about like you know meeting your mom, uh, reconnecting and stuff like that, what does that put you like say spiritually? I mean, how did how did that make you feel like at, at that at that point? How old were you when you ran into her? I know you. I was forty seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was a few years. It was five years ago. Yeah. Um, how, what did that put you spiritually though? Because sometimes you know a lot of us black people in this country, we always feel like there's a little bit of us missing. No matter what we do, how hard we work, how many people we have around, we always feel like there's a little bit of us missing. Did that fill up a little bit for you, brother? Well, um, I've, there's probably been something missing, but I've always felt very lucky to have parents. Mm-hmm. I had two parents who raised me. My father and mother divorced when I was seven. My father remarried when I was eight. And that's been my family since I've... That's been my family. Mm-hmm. And so... For me, it's like family meant somebody who didn't know somebody and bring you into their life and take care of you. That was the most respect that you can get. And then someone else who had to give you up, they had a situation that life called for where they had to do that at the time. Right. Yeah, does mm-hmm. it bring you full circle? Yes. It's like, wow, you think for your whole life that I'll never be somebody. I don't have the resources to go look into this. That One day out of nowhere, I just got a phone call. Um, I don't know, it was a phone call or an email from the city of Philadelphia saying that somebody was looking for me and for me to call call back if I was interested in replying at all. And I replied back to them and then they said, someone's looking for you when I made contact and and would I allow that person to contact me or not? And I was like, yeah. And so we talked for a couple of days uh, by email and then I talked to her on the phone. 
And then a few weeks later, we saw each other. So it was easy. I felt, I felt really comfortable. It, was, it felt a little awkward at first um, because she was in the Nation of Islam. And um, it was like hardcore. And I was like, oh, I don't want you to be a nation. I want you to just be a regular Muslim or whatever, 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 whatever. And I was like, that was really goofy. What I more cared about was, yo, that's my mother. That's somebody mm-hmm. who, gave, who gave birth to you and gives a different meaning to mother. You know, I have a mother who raised me and I have a mother who gave birth. Um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty much amazing. You meet your brothers and sisters. You could see some of yourself in them as well. And you could see some of your personality traits, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I meant. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. I'm not really good on all of that kind of stuff, and I'm not. Um, I may not be the most emotional person mm-hmm. about that kind of stuff either. I feel like you know, I could have just crumbled my head into a box, like, oh man, I don't know my parents. I don't know my parents. You know, uh, what am I gonna do? Well, you what are you gonna do? Are you gonna mm-hmm. stand up? Or are you gonna sit in a box and curl up? Well, you know. Life makes you think of all these things and all these scenarios, but when you when you think about them and realize, yo, you know, if you have somebody that did take care of you, you know, and they did a good job, or you, you appreciate what they did because, you know, who wants to take care of somebody else's kid? That's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> it that's is. a lot of that's a lot of growing up, and um, I don't know why. So I've always just been thankful for my father um, for adopting me, and I'm not really sure how the process ever worked. There's a little ambiguity about, you know, my mother, when I met her, she told me she came home one day. She was 15. She came home one day and I was gone. Mm-hmm. And I think I was about six or seven months. And her mother gave me away. Wow. You know, her mother was mm-hmm. like, you're not, you should go to college. You should be in school. You mm-hmm. should do this. And you're only 15. You're only 15 and you want to be a Muslim. And you have a child. And this, these things don't, her parents were, you know, her father was like, if you want to be a Muslim, it's cool. Her mother's like, that's not cool. You should have, get education. You should go to school. And if you're going to do it, then you should learn from the best people who are at this mm-hmm. ball game. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, it's nothing short of a miracle. That's great. Uh, it's yeah. nothing that's short. Really that's that, that's yeah. a win. But uh, I just, it's a, it's a two-part thing. That's such a win. And the family that brought me up that I know through my life is also a win. So, yeah, that was a new win. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, you turned out all right, yeah, I you, think. You're good guy. I'm not so sure. Not I think so we've sure. all turned out all right. I'm not so sure of that, but right. yeah, we're up and walking. You know, it's still a, it's still a game until we ain't breathing no more. Yeah. So you just keep going and keep doing it. Yeah, you especially know? when you see friends of yours, uh, you know, who don't make ages like 40, much less 50 or anything like that. Oh, yeah. and you're we, like, wow. we got a lot of them. I'm 53, and I was like, that was a lot of years. Like, what are you doing? Like, what, are, what do you mm-hmm. have to do? What do you Then you thought, you know, do a whole bunch your age is only what you want it to be this is true you know i have friends who like you know i have a kid i can't go out i can't your kid didn't paralyze you your kid is just functioning well the kid did paralyze them because they allowed it well they allowed it but they didn't they didn't harm you in a way that you can't go about um yeah unless you unless you wanted them to so and because i don't have a kid i'm not going i shouldn't be speaking on how i got three and i still went out yeah there you go but i I think i think your life can still happen that's all I would hope Surely. it would. Yeah. Well, mine's an adult, so we're good. Hey. There you go. Hey. Shout out all the kids, y'all. Hey. Shout out. Hey. hey, John, thank you so much for being on. No yeah, doubt. This has been Thanks really beautiful. Black Helpline. I hope I didn't embarrass you guys too no, much. Man, it's no, man, it's been a blast hearing your story, brother. You know, it's, we'll bring it you really back. has. We want to hear more. Box of blunts anytime. You know, 
Oh, hey, I big got germ. you. Yeah. Big germ. Big germ. I Shout got out you. to Big Germ. <laughs> big germ. That word. Yeah, you can't even find it now. Oh, there you go. It's See? Big Germ. It's big Germ. <laughs> big Germ. This Negro. <laughs> Unreal. This Negro has Negro pants. Today is Friday. <laughs> and I'm going to get See? you. Uh, Negro pants. Negro pants. Get it? Shut up. Negro it's, pants. It's, uh, it resonated, dude. I only took that from you to give it back to you. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, calling me that. Well, I'm Tricky Mickey. I'm malcontent. I'm Big Germ. It's Big Germ. Big Germ. Oh. Germ. Shout out to our special guest, John John Scott, homeboy from old days. Peace, 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 peace. Minneapolis in the building. I love it. So Thank if you, you want to get in touch, please email us at Black Helpline. You can also Twitter at us at Black Helpline, or you can call us at 612-615-9636. Thanks, y'all, for listening. Take care. Peace. Peace. <laughs>